Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and happy Friday, or if you're a Patreon backer, happy Thursday, because from this week onwards, we're releasing the show to our Patreon backers a day early. In an attempt to outflank Theresa May's tactics of announcing bold moves like new British-only gravity or a trade deal with Latveria, we're sending the show to Patreon supporters as soon as it's ready, hot off the presses, or whatever it is you make podcasts on, some sort of giant waffle iron or trouser press, I think. <laughs> I'm Andrew Harrison, and I'm your presenter for this week, and I'm joined by two of our regulars. Alex Andreo is a writer, actor, commentator, singer, and the best thing to come out of Greece since Vangelis. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hello. Would you like me to write some other Greek jokes? Because that's the second one is you do, really? Vangelis. Yeah. Who the fuck is Vangelis? And, I love Vangelis. And I, and I have a feeling you're coming, you're coming to the edge of your Greek knowledge. So would you like me to do the Greek joke? Alex Andreo is a writer, actor, commentator, singer, and the best thing to come out of Greece since Nana Muscuri. Hey! hey, Alex, how are you doing? I do, I do need to keep a database of the jokes I've done. Are you well? I am very well, thank you. That's what we like to hear. I enjoyed your exchange this week with Marcus Fish MP, one of our favourite Brexit boneheads, uh, in which he said Brits could be free to eat tasty and cheaper halloumi and feta made in America and sell excellent English sparkling champagne in Asia and the Americas from April. Yes. What was your take on this particular? <laughs> it's, uh, I guess it's the classic marketing genius is to identify a market that no one knew ever existed. <laughs> are, you look, are you looking forward to Polish scotch and Italian Melton Mowbray pork pies? Yes, I mean, you know, who needs uh, a, a medicines agency or an aviation safety authority when you can have crumbly feta mm. at 10p? Cheaper. Mo- American feta is disgusting. Is it really? By the way, okay, I'll, 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 I'll disgusting. I'll make a note of that. To be <laughs> literally like salted chalk. <laughs> well, to be fair, Spanish Cornish pasties are quite nice, but they are called empanadas. So <laughs> same thing. Also with us is Ian Dunt, the editor of Politics.co.uk. Hello, Ian. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you. How do you feel about the unelected Brussels dictator stopping the clocks from going back? In that <laughs> Pretty bad, actually, because I, I, I'm quite up for them just sticking to summertime the whole time. But it's British summertime. 
Well, yeah, exactly. It's the best exactly. Well, whatever they need the hours to be, I'm really up for it staying that way. I don't know why we inflict us this sort of extra misery on ourselves in the afternoons throughout mm. the winter, and I don't really know any farmers to complain about it. So fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't see, as soon as we're leaving, now they're going to fix the whole time problem. It seems a bit of an issue. Really. Did you see the classic undemocratic move they pulled? They actually asked the people of Europe about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's appalling. Faceless bureaucrats. Yeah, I know. Bastards. Asking people, 84 percent of 4.6 million respondents said they don't want to change the clocks twice a year. So European countries will be able to decide whether they want to be summer all year long or winter all year long like us oh I didn't realise that they all get a choice of which one they stick to they don't all have to go I think to... it's the whole of Europe uh-huh. so it's going to they may have a big huge referendum on it they always go really well <laughs> uh, there is the question of the Irish border though because you might actually have to change your watch as you cross if this happens so yeah. as our Twitter follower Mike Holden said the solution is very simple Brexit time machine <laughs> <laughs> today's special guest is an expert on scams fraud mind tricks and manipulation so no wonder he's interested in Brexit actor writer and magician Alexis Conran pre- presents the radio hustle on talk radio which began as a consumer advice show and has morphed into a political discussion before that he advised the hit BBC BBC series Hustle and wrote and presented the BBC Three follow-up, The Real Hustle, with advice on how to handle real-life scams and frauds. Alexis knows what he's talking about because his own father was a gambler, a thief and a con man. Great in a country song, less so in a dad. He grew up <laughs> in Greece with his mother after his parents divorced, making this a 50% Greek show. Yeah, which yeah, is excellent. it's a Greek takeover. It's a Greek cast, <laughs> amazing. Um, hello and welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Uh, something I forgot to mention, by the way, you also won Celebrity MasterChef in 2016 with a mean octopus Stefano. Oh, bless you. Thank so, you. <laughs> I'm a sucker for an octopus Stefano. Um, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about whether the Leave campaign fits the description of a con or a mind trick. Did it use the, com- the tactics of the confidence trick? But you... you it's a phone-in show, so you yeah, talk to the general public a lot. Turned into a, a so it started off as a consumer show, and then uh, when talk radio decided to go a bit more, everything needs to be more current affairs. Um, I had this idea, and I, I've regretted it since, of course. <laughs> but uh, I had this idea of of what we need more is sort of controversial debate. No, I didn't. I, <laughs> I, I had this idea of look. I was always worried that sort of in echo chambers and you're, I'm reading Twitter feeds of people I agree with already, all of whom are in this room, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not getting the other side. And there's got to be another side, no matter how illogical it might seem to me or how much I disagree with it. I thought, well, I need to sort of understand it and listen to it. And is there a middle ground? So I sort of suggested, can we do a show where I sit on one side as the host of the show, being the, the lefty liberal elite or whatever I'm classed as today, uh, with somebody who I disagree with, a Brexiteer, somebody who comes from the centre-right of everything, and uh, that's what the show morphed into. And now we're getting more and more callers. So, yeah, right. dealing with some, you know people calling in, expressing their views, which can be quite enlightening. Enlight- yeah, that's a great euphemism. <laughs> do, you, do you detect a lot of the kind of the sunk costs thing, the, the idea that we've gone so far, we've invested so much into it, that we've got to keep going, not because of what lies ahead, but because of what lies behind? Oh, they're throwing good money after bad. There's, there's that sort that's of gambler's one. fallacy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, we've seen it today. I think only in PMQs today, you've, you've got, you know, May standing up in Houses of Parliament and her big sort of slogan of, see, I told you it's going to be OK. The WTO said it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't remember seeing that on the side of a fucking bus. <laughs> to be fair, literally anything is an improvement on the end of the world. Yeah. So you do get callers who've, who've basically given up any sort of selling of the um, benefits or look this is what you've got to look forward to because I keep saying look I'm open convince Mm. me I live in this country I don't particularly want to move right so convince me that I shouldn't be depressed all the time and all I'm getting is sovereignty yeah uh, our own laws our own borders you know 
and it's regressing to well, it's the will of the people. Shut up, you know. Yeah. That's that's where we've got to now. Yeah. Well, Alexis is going to be here throughout the show as we discuss the following matters and more. Summer's over and political hostilities resume with both Boris Johnson and Michelle Barnier putting the boot into checkers. But is that Nick Bowles MP riding to the rescue? <laughs> Plus, the women's campaign for a people's Spoilers. vote... <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the women's campaign for a people's vote launched this week and to our absolute shame because of last-minute scheduling issues, it's an all-male panel this week. So we're going to be talking to one of the organisers this week and then talking about it properly next week when there are some actual women in the room. Also, What's going to happen to the much-vaunted WTO arrangements if Donald Trump wants to pull the USA out of the WTO anyway? Now where's your Wisconsin feta cheese? And later in the show, human rights lawyer Adam Wagner will be dropping in to tell us about the indisputable evidence that Leave cheated in the referendum and the legal challenge that he is now crowdfunding. All this and more after these quick reminders from Alex. There are a grand total of only 17 tickets left for next week's Romaniacs Live in London. So it's now or never if you want to see me, Ian, Naomi Smith and Dorian Linsky in live Ramoning action. Did I mention me? At the <laughs> Leicester Square Theatre on Wednesday, 12th <laughs> September. If you're not already a Patreon backer, you can still get discounts on the tickets by joining. Plus, you'll always get early bird notifications and discounts for our future live shows too. Patreon supporters also receive those agenda-setting Romaniacs mugs, T-shirts and tote bags and an exclusive column by one of the panellists every Monday morning. Plus, they now get the podcast a day early too. Honestly, what are you waiting for? Just go to patreon.com and search Romaniacs to find out more. Plus, if you need a break from Brexit, why not try our companion show, the pop culture podcast Big Mouth? On this week's show, they're talking about Idris Elba's London gangster movie Yardi, a new album of extremely slow disco from West London Dewar Jungle, and Bodyguard on BBC One because everyone else is. <laughs> find Big Mouth at audioboom.com, search Big Mouth, and support us by visiting patreon.com and searching Romaniacs too. The whole patron ad thing has really gone up in the world since Alex started reading it. It's like you're selling luxury, like, coffee. Or so. I, you know that yeah. you want silky sort of smooth. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to sign up and I, I get the show anyway. I am aiming to become the voice of Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. OK, let's roll up our sleeves to plumb the S-bend of Brexit news. First up, summer is over. Groundhog Day is back on as the Tories continue to tear each other to bits over Theresa May's beleaguered Chequers proposal. Boris Johnson got his return retaliation in first by using his well-paid Telegraph column, which he writes in flat contravention of the rules governing Delta ex-ministers, to say that, quote, we have gone into battle with the white flag fluttering over our leading tank. If we continue on this basis, we will throw away most of the advantages of Brexit. Advantages yet to be specified. And Jacob Rees-Mogg popped up to say that he and Michelle Barnier agreed on something. Chequers is rubbish. But in a surprising outbreak of grown-up thinking, possibly, Tory Brexit and Nick Bowles MP has put forward a plan for a not a softer, not a harder, but a better Brexit. A Goldie. <laughs> Brexit or a Goldilocksis. Alexandro, before we look at next bowl's ideas, did any thinking get done in the summer break at all? Some did, I think. I think some things have shifted, especially uh, since last week with the notices coming yeah. out. I think that's caused a real movement. I don't know in what direction. I think it's just for the time being hardened people on both sides. Yeah, it's like the um, movement is all away from checkers. Yeah. I mean, to simplify it, is it just a case that Leavers hate the accommodation to EU regulations and Remainers hate the kind of ambiguity that means Brexit could get tougher post-leaving? That's why everybody is... Yes, I mean, it, it, effectively, when you have to find a compromise between half and half, 
because the vote was essentially split half and half, you are going to end up, I think, by definition, with both both sides incredibly unhappy um, hmm. that they're not getting what they wanted. Do you think that the, t- the time spent with constituents and party officials away from Westminster would have hardened that as well, particularly amongst the leavers? I think it may have done, but I don't think that necessarily applies to the negotiations. I think hmm. the negotiations have actually moved forward quite a lot by virtue of not having political people sort of micromanaging and commenting on them in the meantime. So I think the the positions of the legal documents have moved a little bit. It feels like there's movement with the second referendum campaign, to be honest. Like yeah. It actually feels like that's one yes. of the few that's bits true. that actually seems to be involved. I mean, yesterday we had, yesterday being Tuesday, we had the GMB union come out and support. There's Mum's Net. You shouldn't underestimate the impact of that. Uh, coming out, there's been a Tory donor. So actually, if you were to look at the one part of the sort of body politic where there is a constant daily movement forwards, it does feel like it's in that campaign. Yeah. yeah. Alexis Connor, we you know, obviously, we do a weekly podcast about Brexit. And, you know, we, we sort of barely understand whether, whether well, I don't anyway, whether uh, the, 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 the state of affairs is. is you know, look at it from your sort of yeah. confidence trickster, trickster spotting point of view. Is that part of the toolkit of the confidence trickster? You know, creates a fog of incomprehension. So that people can seize on any little con- concrete thing that makes them yeah. feel better. Well, it's and I know we're going to we're going to talk about this later on about you know the comparisons between Brexit and and a scam, um, and in all seriousness, you know w- what are the, the the common elements? But I think one of the things I learned uh, in my years of being a hustler is say anything with enough confidence, and enough people will believe you. It doesn't matter what you're saying, but say it with authority, say it with confidence, and the people who want to believe you will believe you and that's a really important thing we forget is that people have got their own narratives which they're trying to fulfill and anything that fits they'll just grab it and put it in there and Mm. think yeah yeah that's Mm. good I'll, i'll go with that whether it's factually true or not it really doesn't matter for most people is it the question is is it does it comply with what i want my worldview to be and that's the issue that I have as a radio host with people and we're dealing with guests and dealing with people that call that after a while you find that actually no matter how many facts you throw their way it doesn't matter they've made up their mind and how you deal with people like that is is I think the 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 trickiest part of anybody who deals with this kind of radio phone-in shows like I do and like you know the the poster boy of all the radio phone-in shows James O'Brien and it's it's very very tricky because if you go towards facts, sometimes that has the adverse effect of people retreating further and further into their hole and saying no 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 don't want to listen don't want to listen don't want to listen. And also, I've got to put my hand up. You know, I don't understand a lot of the stuff. I really have to work very very hard to get it. That's why this man was invited. I'm pointing at Ian here to, to <laughs> a God, random, you're not pointing at me. Yes. A random date uh, <laughs> because I was I was listening to, to, to you know to the Rainiacs podcast from the very beginning. I thought this man sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So I hounded him on <laughs> Twitter in, on Twitter for a bit and said, "Look, I need your help. I need to be able to understand these things. I think it's really unfair to expect mm. you know Joe Blogs and people out there who are going about." you know, their daily lives to understand what tariffs are all about and non-tariff barriers. And now W2O rules have come in. I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. How much of this shit do I need to know about? You know, yeah. my my standout moment uh, of saying things with confidence in enough people will believe them from the last week was uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg on Newsnight uh, two evenings ago asked about the Irish 
um, border situation, what his solution would be. And he said, the question is whether we can monitor the Irish border remotely, <laughs> <laughs> which already happens, by the way. That, that was some exciting said. news uh, for quite that a lot was of people. His thing. Right. The question is whether we can do something that apparently already happens with technology that hasn't been invented yet. It's extraordinary how it's much stuff great. he gets away with. He was on the radio this morning defending. Do you remember that tweet he he put out from the Sun? The Sun did those projections of everything's going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shoes, televisions, yeah, food, yeah, yeah. everything's going. Which they had to retract because everybody came down on them like a ton of bricks. So mm. they retracted. He still hasn't retracted it. So he was on the radio this morning taking calls, and someone pointed that out and his reply was well I you know it's, it's inaccurate but it, it reflected the general idea of what I was trying to say so <laughs> in even the broadcaster his jaw hit the desk you could hear it saying but you retweeted something knowingly to be factually incorrect and you're sticking with it and he says yeah because it's the general gist is things will be cheaper so I don't have a problem with that and anyway he said Twitter is just it's, it's not serious it's not, you know it's there for, for people to just express views and ideas it's not as if it's factual yeah what <laughs> the hell is going on these are things that in a, in a past life would have ended a person's political career yeah, well, that's knowingly long, spreading on trees that's long gone now yeah. and you see it with Trump as well, well I'm and very old see... I remember these things from when I was a child <laughs> a simple, a simple nothing child. ends people's careers now no. nothing let's talk about Nick Bowles' better Brexit campaign this mm. is a formal quote non-party campaign it's got a website and everything Ian <laughs> What is firstly? What is this better Brexit campaign? It's a four-point thing. It's four points, which are really sort of two points and two justifications. Um, so, point number one is cancel everything, cancel all the withdrawal agreement that we've got, including on budget, including on everything else, all the stuff that's already been put down that will be there. Uh, point two is join EFTA and through EFTA join the EEA agreement, which basically keeps you in the single market. And then we've bought ourselves some time. So then points three and four are, and this gives us the time to do a trade deal along the lines of Canada, because the time to do trade deals with other countries, and it gives us the time to prepare for no deal. So really, it's two points with two justifications tagged on the back of them. And really what it adds up to, by the way, is fucking hell, lads, maybe we shouldn't have triggered Article 50. <laughs> yeah. Really, the whole thing is intended to be like, well, we've got to buy ourselves some time. Yeah. Because shit, this is very tense. Which, of course, was being stren- a point that was strenuously made to Brexiters at the time was don't fucking trigger this thing. Because yeah. this thing is designed for the other side to have the advantage over you in terms of time. Yeah. And now that we get to the end, you suddenly see this moment of realisation and being like, fuck, oh. maybe that last beer was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I am going to puke up It was everywhere. literally the only card we held. Exactly. And yeah. we played it in the first round. I, I put it down. I put the date down. Yeah. Okay, dear. Oh, and it's, it's the ace of spades. But, um, what I don't understand about his proposal is, and uh, forgive me if I'm completely wrong here, but if you go into, you drop into a Norway star model, etc., but and hoping through that to be negotiating your future deals, how will you negotiate a future deal if you don't end up, if you don't know what deal you're going to be ending up with? Do you see what I mean? Well, he does, to be fair to him, he does have this. He, I think the reason he thinks it appeals to all parties is because you've, you basically turn EEA, the Norway thing, into transition. That's yeah. basically right. your safe spot and you're aiming towards Canada. And you okay. say that right at the beginning. So to be fair, he, he has not a point of where he's ending for there. But like everything about this is, is the kind of thing that someone does if they haven't bothered to read up on what it is that's entailed. Now, the plan that he's putting forward is exactly the kind of thing that I and people like me were suggesting right after the Brexit vote, going, use the EEA, buy yourself time. Whatever yeah. you do, don't get stuck in the Article 50 thing. However... It is not an off-the-shelf option. It isn't. You still have to do work. For a start, 
you have to join EFTA and be accepted into EFTA. That's yeah. four countries yeah. that can yeah. veto it if they want. I don't think they will, but they can. And that's Who, the process. Who's in EFTA again? So you've got Switzerland, you've got Norway, you've got Liechtenstein. And you've got motherfucker Iceland. 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 Don't call them that. Iceland. Iceland. I don't think they like being called that. Sure. Yeah. I can remember. <laughs> no, cool. There's very few of them, but I still think they're traditional yeah. Viking name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they'd have a veto then. Then you've got to get into the EEA agreement. We're in the EEA agreement now, but we're in it as an EU member. Mm-hmm. So if we were to do it as an EFTA member outside of the EU, you have to join EFTA. They can all veto then join the EEA through that new route. And at that point, anyone else can veto. So now you've got 30 countries, the remaining EU27 plus the remaining three. You're excluding Switzerland from this. Switzerland aren't actually in the EEA. They've got a series of bilateral treaties that they've Uh stitched up. So that's one problem. I think it's a surmountable one, but you need time. And frankly, we don't have time because we'd have to get this thing done by what? We used to say October. We're now saying November, Christmas, but really not March. You know, it's going to be before then. Then you have to arrange customs union membership on some kind of transitional basis, which, of course, is not already a feature of the way that Norway and countries like that yeah. operate. So you've got to do that separately. Then you have to worry about the fact that the EEA at the moment hasn't finished transferring all of the new financial rules from after the financial crisis over. So while they might be on track to do that by March, they might fail. And if they did fail, there's no guarantees that our banks would still have passporting, even in the EEA. Then finally, his part is we can use the emergency break in it to limit freedom of movement. Now, that is a is not what he thinks it is. He seems to think that it's just a button and you press it and you're like, no more free movement. In actual fact, you have to make a case that you've suffered sort of severe social and economic damage. A case is very, very hard to make for the off-sighted reason on this show mm. that immigration has done no damage to Britain, in fact, been very successful. And we have zero unemployment or virtually. Yeah. How would you, on the core data, yeah, yeah, yeah. how would yeah. you even yeah, make yeah, the yeah. decision? Yeah. How would you even make the case? Difficult. And then you've also got the additional problem of if we were to, to secure that, it would apply to all the other EFTA EEA states, Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, sorry, fucking, fucking Iceland and Liechtenstein. To all so, our Icelandic listeners, can I just apologise <laughs> to, to Björk and Sean from the su- sorry, Sugar Cubes? No, no, you're lovely. really mean. Lovely. lovely Icelanders. Um, lovely Icelanders. Uh, so you'd have to convince them. Now, not only would they again, then get wrapped up in that, but there can be countervailing measures. There can be measures from the rest of the EU towards you on the basis of having shut down freedom of movement. Mm. So they would suffer the effects of that. So that whole negotiation is much, much more complicated than he thinks. That's why this was a viable, credible plan two years ago to suddenly raise it now as, oh, look, we just put it off the shelf and we're done, mm. mate, is very, very ignorant indeed. Stepping away from the kind of mechanics of it, uh, which you so eloquently and detail- detailedly described I'm there. I'm so sorry. It was great. <laughs> I-, I understand it now, which I didn't when I was writing the script. Um, who is this designed to appeal to? Is it designed to appeal to people who need to save face? Is it a genuine, is it a genuine proposal? I, I, get the, I get the appeal, actually, because you're using key terms that lots of people like. You get to say Norway even though it's just transitory and you have it for a bit, yeah. which a bunch of, you know, Remainers like, people like me. You get to say Canada, which the David Davises of the world like, and, and all of that. So you're basically melding in, in, a, in sequence all the various models. It's kind of like putting like a transformer together from all the different parts <laughs> yeah. that you like. And so I can yeah. see how you might think that as a sort of PR proposal makes sense. It's just that as a realistic, credible proposal in this time frame, it's bananas. Meanwhile, on, Rob, on Facebook, Robert Peston has been writing, David Davis may have won. I am hearing from multiple sources that the only trade deal the EU's lead negotiator, Michel Barnier, will countenance is Davis's cherished free trade agreement, what he called Canada Plus, rather than any version of May's checkers plan. The Brexiters on the select committee are ecstatic. The Remainers are in abject despair. 
do we what do we make of that no pest you know he's 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 so frustrating isn't he because lots of the time he's really quite smart and understands things and then he just comes out with this shit and you just think well that is just fucking dumb <laughs> and there's no other way to put it i'm trying but, to get him as a guest Ian. Can you- <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that we can take it to his face things i mean look that doesn't make any sense for a, for a start, we all knew that the EU were not going to accept Chucker's deal as it was. That has been well understood by everyone, including, you know, Jake, even Jacob Rees-Mogg understood that from very, very early on. However, at the end of it all, they're not going to be too averse to Canada because you're basically giving them a goods deal that allows them to send goods here and cutting off your ability to send your, fight, your services exports to them. I mean, mm-hmm. the, coming up with Canada is like coming up with a deal that the EU would like to have imposed on you. The thing with the EU was always you either go Norway or you go Canada. What you can't do is muck around in the middle. Yeah. Now, we've known that forever. So for him to say it now and go, David Davis has won and remain as a horrified, you just think, like, what are you talking about, mate? Just putting you know, the Bowles deal, deal thing into the league table of probabilities, where would we put it? Is it kind of neck and neck with no deal? Is it relegation zone? It doesn't sound very likely to me. I mean, I think Norway and EA membership with Customs Union membership is still a perfectly viable possible option that will come out of, you know, the the talks that we have afterwards by virtue of the pressures that are on things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You are not going to have that as a transitional arrangement because all the negotiation required to go into it is not going to take place just so you can change it again in two or three years' time. Europe's going to say, we want this thing done. You know what I mean? You can't keep on messing around with us in this way. So as it is, that proposal wouldn't work in this time frame, wouldn't even work if the time frame didn't exist. But the idea of joining the EA remains, to me, a very good one. But um, can I say that the, the deficiency with every single plan that's being put forward and that has been put forward for the last two years is that from the very beginning there were two irreconcilable points in the British position. We had promised full access to the single market with no freedom of movement, which we Mm. knew was a deal breaker for the EU. And also we promised a border we can control that won't exist in Northern Ireland, which is physically impossible. It's a hole in a boat. Yeah. And there's been nothing since that has shifted those two things one tiny bit. And nothing will. Ultimately, someone will have to give up their position on one of those mutually exclusive things. So either Britain will have to accept some kind of freedom of movement in exchange for access to the single market, for full membership in Mm. all but name to the single market, or the EU will have to abandon its four pillars. And I'm not saying it's impossible that that will happen because there are, there's a lot of pressure from other EU members for freedom of movement to be mm. slightly tweaked. Um, but the Irish issue, I think, is completely insurmountable. Yeah. It is utterly impossible to have a border you can control that is permeable one way but not the other. It just doesn't mm. exist. It's the only black and white thing in a completely grey debate. Yeah. Yeah. OK, moving on to something possibly more comprehensible. The Women for a People's Vote campaign launched on Monday with an event in London, including speeches by Caroline Criado perez of Banknote fame, Lara Spirit, the co-founder of Our Future, Our Choice, and Rachel Johnson, who managed to skirt the subject of dinner table conversations in the Johnson household. Caroline Criado perez opened the event by saying Brexit is a feminist issue. I spoke to one of the key figures at the event. So uh, my name is Aisha Hazarik. I'm a former Labour advisor, and I'm now a political commentator and a stand-up comedian. Um, I've been hosting the event today and I've come to help the people's vote because I'm quite a late convert to the idea of um, another referendum but 
I now think there's just no other way to settle this issue in a way that is like just sane. And I, I didn't love the idea of having to revisit the whole issue for so many reasons. I just think we've got to the stage that politics has failed so badly and the negotiations are so, going so bad. I mean, look at Brexit and think it's such a mess. Even Elon Musk doesn't want to get involved anymore. And you're like, that is a bad sign. He's not even sending us a submarine, for God's sake. So I do think we have got to the stage, a decision which is so profound, which is going to affect generations for come, to come at a time we've just picked ourselves up. We still haven't picked ourselves up after the global financial crash. Why are we just blundering into something without just taking a moment to just ask the question again? Why is Brexit going to hit women harder than perhaps people, men, think? So the main issue is uh, whenever there's any shock to the economy, women get a disproportionate hit on that. Um, because they do the majority of caring responsibilities. They are in the majority when it comes to low-paid, insecure work. Um, Public services, which might have to take a hit if there's less money in the economy. There's more women that work in public services. Women tend to use public services more as well. And just generally, women do sort of get the hit on move. When things go bad, women sort of get the, the biggest hit on it. They're the workhorses of our families um, and our, particularly our low-paid economy and society in general. I saw uh, on, on one of the kind of uh, the screens behind you in the, in, in the event this morning uh, a, a line that said, men broke it, women will fix it. How are women going to fix this? Because we are, as you said, we are at an impasse. I think one of the things that women can do in this short window that we have is really make our voices heard because the debate has been very male-dominated. Even the bad boys of Brexit are seen as a very masculine thing. The negotiating team is, is, is very masculine as well. And also the debate is so nasty and toxic that I think a lot of people, women, particularly on social media and speaking up about it, they're a bit reticent to do it. And I understand why. I mean, when you start engaging on Brexit, it can get quite ugly. But the point I was making in there was look our voices matter just as much as angry men's voices you know we have got like a great anxiety about what's coming down the track not just for us but for our daughters our granddaughters potentially so we have one shot to really really get our voices out there let our political class hear that we want to have a voice we have views we have a voice please listen to us. And what concrete steps can women take to make this happen? Because, you know, there's a lot of groundswell around the people's votes, accompanied by kind of confusion about how you actually bring this into being. So there's a couple of things that people um, can do. Um, sign up to the campaign, sign up to the petition. There's a big march happening on the 20th of October. But also, I think it's really important to be petitioning your MP Um, even your local councillors. Let your political representatives know your strength of feeling because I speak to a lot of politicians and, again, it's a lot of angry men that are getting their voices heard. And I think think we have a really unique moment right now and I think we can can do a lot of... um, protesting on the streets and all that sort of thing, but actually getting our voices heard using every single platform we have is very, very powerful. And actually appealing to our Prime Minister, who is also a woman, and saying, hang on a minute, you stood um, at the Millicent Fawcett statue and you said courage calls to courage everywhere. Well, stand, stand up for us. Have the courage now to face down your right-wing um, Brexiteer uh, backbenchers and do the right thing by women 
in this country. Aisha Hazarika from Women for a People's Vote there. As I said, we are utterly embarrassed that because of late scheduling issues, we've ended up with a manal this week of all weeks. So we're going to talk about Women for a People's Vote properly next week with some of our female regulars. Okay, finally, on the news front, Brexiters have been assiduously pushing the line that there's nothing to fear from falling back on World Trade Association rules. It's their euphemism for crashing out with no deal. Except that Donald Trump is now threatening to withdraw from the WTO, potentially leading to the breakup of international rules-based trading and the return of protectionism. If they don't shape up, I would withdraw from the WTO, Trump told Bloomberg. This would be especially bad news for Brexit Britain because we'd be trying to negotiate WTO deals with the WTO itself falling to pieces. Alex and Alexis, forgive me for leaving you a little bit out of this because this is Ian's specialist subject on oh, oh, trade. Oh, God. Ian, how likely is it that Trump could leave the <laughs> Whenever WTO? Whenever you say, like, this is my special... I feel like, you know, like, the difference between how you think you look in the mirror and then how you look when you see a photograph of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how that feels. You're a trade nerd. Do your job. <laughs> how likely is it that Trump could leave the WTO? And take on. it away, Ian. So he's talked about this for a long time. Mm. Um, and this is not the first time he's mentioned it. Uh, more importantly, what he does secretly and very quietly at the WTO is quite—it seems to be following a quite specific pattern, which yeah. is basically to, to essentially eradicate it as a functioning body. And um, there is something called there's a court right at the heart of the WTO. We talked the other week about how you have sort of panels that look over disputes, then they'll rule, and then you can appeal. And at the end of that process, once it bounces around for a bit for quite a few years, it goes to the central court, to this appellate court. And they make a ruling on what happens. This is basically the teeth behind the system. It's a system that doesn't really like teeth and is mostly based on informal conversations wherever it's possible and panels over here. But when the teeth come out, it's through this court. Now, there's seven judges on that court. You need to have three to hear a case. They're elected for four years. You can, you can uh, have two terms and that's it. America has been using technical excuse to basically block the appointment of new judges to the court. It's been doing this since Trump came in. Um, they are now down to four. Now, the next one goes at the end of September. That's when his term is up. He's a guy from Mauritius. That leaves it to three. I mean, if, if they're not all there, a case can't be heard. There's another two that go by the end of 2019. And that's the point where the WTO ceases to function as a body that can enforce the rules contained within it. And that is another way of saying, you know, it's, it's actually hard to sound too hyperbolic about this. Um, uh, that's actually like saying that the, the sort of multilateral world trade rules based system has its own Article 50, of which there is basically a year and three months to go, a bit less than that, really, before it simply ceases to function. So we're getting all excited. This is like buying Betamax. Why do we want to get into this thing? This is like signing. This is like taking out a NAFTA subscription or something in 2000. Well, it's sort of like the thing is because because the Brexit has been so keen on talking about the World Trade Organization, or rather now they talk about a World Trade Deal, which is just a complete fucking lie. Like that's yeah, yeah, not what yeah. it yeah, is. Yeah. Really, really appalling sort of advertising slogan that they've developed. Because they talk about it, I think a lot of sort of Remainers have come to see it as something quite uh, sort of. Uh, not evil, but certainly a bit yucky and a bit a bit Brexity. In actual fact, it's a pretty good safety net for world trade. And it's yeah. one of the things that stops it from just being survival of the fittest, you know, biggest beast in the jungle dictates to others. You get vetoes as quite small states so that you're not just having the kind of situation that America had. If America, you know, for ages would just take something like the NAFTA agreement or another trade agreement and then just go around to a bunch of small countries, chuck it down there and go, you can make a few changes, mate, but that's all you get. Let's say you get 50 changes or 100 changes. We'll talk about those. But ultimately, this is the prototype. Yeah. You sign the fucking prototype and you do it in the next year. And that's why you get quick trade deals because someone's getting <laughs> shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got on those lines. So, I mean, the WTO is a protection against that. It's not, I mean, it's relatively democratic. 
you know, I mean, it, it's not as good as the EU, which probably has sort of you know, transparent debates and, and all of that. But it introduces some notion of democracy towards world trade. It's the kind of thing you want to preserve. The reason that it is being attacked by Trump is the same reason that Brexiters are attacking the EU. It's the same reason Trump is attacking the UN. It's the same reason that Orban is attacking the media, that the Polish government attacks the judiciary, that the Italian government attacks the civil, uh, civil service. And it's because authoritarians hate institutions. Hmm. Institutions, either at a domestic level or an international level, refract power. They stop you from having a strong man without any scrutiny, yeah. without any accountability. So a liberalism is based, is grounded in the idea of entrenching institutions wherever you are, globally, continentally, domestically, locally. And that's why they trash them. It's interesting to see what you mentioned, uh, Laura the Jungle, a minute ago. Larry Elliott, Larry Elliott wrote in The Guardian that Trump might think America would do better under the law of the jungle, but he is wrong about that. He would pave the way for the global economy's other big beasts, China, the EU and Japan, to use unfair trade practices against the US without any legal constraint. So, you know, where are we in that particular? We are, we're a very <laughs> small beast outside the EU. We're certainly not China or Japan. We just... Are we the butterfly broken on the wheel here? It's, it's also the whole of the West. I mean, this is the worst time for the West to be undermining the rules-based system, which is just as the East is rising in a really powerful way. You want to preserve that system because pretty soon, as Britain's about to find out, you can be the junior partner in a bilateral dispute. And when that happens, you would rather there was a network of laws and controls around you to give you some kind of control over the process. Alex, do are we, are we putting enough energy into debunking the idea of a WTO deal that isn't a deal? Because it doesn't look like Remain is kind of engaging with us at all. Um, first of all, WTO doesn't cover everything. So a WTO deal is still a no deal in a variety of other areas, aviation. I mean, you know, there are loads and loads of areas that the WTO just doesn't cover. Financial services, I think, it, it's got a bare bones mm. structure in it. It's certainly nothing like passporting. Um so for that reason alone, it's, it's a, a sort of false promise. Mm -hmm. But I think what is not being talked about enough is the subtext of what Trump is doing. And to me, it's really clearly and obviously a subtext of military might. And I, I think no one is mentioning this. No one is saying this. But that's what Trump is doing. Trump is saying... We're the strongest country in the world militarily. Why haven't we been using that to leverage pressure economically? That's what he's doing, effectively. He's, you know, if Uganda went to the WTO and made this, these mm. demands, you, Uganda would be told to fuck off. And it's not to do with its economic size. It's to do with its military mm. clout. The problem is that doing that while also attack, attacking NATO may be creating a really dangerous situation for yourself, for America, I mean. Um, because what it might do if you fracture those military structures at the same time is it might encourage other people like the EU, like China, to say, fine, let's go away and build our military might. Because that is clearly the underlying threat. Mm. Yeah, he has a very um, one-dimensional view of what strength is. Doesn't, be doesn't believe in soft power. Doesn't yeah. even believe in economic power as power. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a wrong view. <laughs> mm. You know, but well, it works. Well, the the you know, it might be true power, but the question you need to ask is whether the decision we made post World War Two that, as a as a sort of family of nations, we weren't going to fucking do that anymore. 
whether attacking that at its fundamental core level by attacking all the institutions that were built around it is a smart thing to do or not. I think we all know the answer to that one. <laughs> Our special guest this week is Alexis Conran, talk radio presenter, host of The Real Hustle, actual qualified magician and expert on scams, cons and manipulation. Hope you're enjoying the show. The enormous scam, con and manipulation is right next. It's all very well for us in, you know, in our bubble with nobody ringing in, but you're on the front line dealing with the Brexiters on the phone, as we talked about earlier. Um, have any of your callers made you think again? Oh, all the time. All the time, no matter how deranged sometimes they seem to be, I'm trying to understand where is this coming from? What, what has this person picked up from where and why do they believe it so vehemently? But the, the thing that I've, I think... Um, I think we're, we're missing a trick here, if you don't mind the, the mm-hmm. magician's pun there. I think uh, too much of the time we're concentrating who lied, who did what, who cheated. Mm. And I very much agree with Ian, who said this on this show a lot of times. We've got, forget about trying to nullify the vote and go, oh, someone's cheated, therefore it doesn't count and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a binding vote and it was advisory and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think no matter how, much, how you look at that, you've got to win the argument. You have to win the argument because no matter how you, you, you twist it to try and sort of remain or to try and leave on the terms that you like, yeah. there are people that need to be convinced and, and understood and understood why they took that decision. So I was looking in the, uh, what I've done and the real hustle. And we scammed. We did over 500 scams. We did 11 100 episodes. We, we scammed a lot of people. <laughs> okay. How um, much more lucrative than making radio shows? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I, the one thing that I, I, I remembered back, because I thought if you look at Brexit as a scam, which is a sort of a classic bait and switch scam, which is baiting someone with uh, a product, right? That you get their interest, they buy into it, and you switch it for something else. Remember the, the people who come, you know, I've got speakers in the back of the van that we've got left over, or these new hmm. cameras or whatever. Yeah. Here they are. You buy the box, you go home, you open it up, and it's a box of spuds or yeah. waters water, or flour or yeah. something like that. Um, and, that's, and bait and switch is illegal under the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trading Act 2008. See, I can quote things like that like Ian does. <laughs> Don't ask me which paragraph. I have no fucking so idea. All the, all the crimes you've been charged yeah. with, yeah. you can quote. I can quote. So, it, you know... It, I was looking at Brexit. Look, if you look at Brexit as a scam and look at the victim, and the one thing that we had in common uh, with The Real Hustle was every time we'd go up to a uh, person, that, a mark, a person that we scammed, we'd reveal the cameras and say, look, this was a scam. And actually, more often than not, what happened was after people kind of calmed down from the sort of shock of seeing cameras come out walls and cameramen mm-hmm. and realising oh, my God, I've just been filmed for the whole day and I've lost my car, but thank God I've got my car back or my house back or yeah. everything. But the mo- most common reaction was, oh, yeah, I knew. I knew. I knew all along. I knew yeah, something yeah. wasn't right. Hmm. And the truth is they didn't have a fucking clue, yeah. right? They didn't know. Yeah. But people don't like to be told, you know what? We've got one over on you. We mm. scammed you. This you fell the, for it. This is the huge... The hump that we've got to get out of This is the problem. And the worst thing that you can do, and I speak from someone who's got years of experience of dealing with people who've been scammed, the worst thing you can do is shove it in someone's face and go, you fell for it. Because the truth is, anyone can fall for it. Falling for a scam is not a measure of your IQ. It's being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, it's someone approaching you when you're in a vulnerable moment. You know, 
I think austerity 2008 has a massive effect on why we've had Brexit. Okay, and if you look at the bait and switch, what was the bait? The bait was something different. Change the system, stick it to the man, whatever you want. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. People needed to to express themselves in a in a revolutionary voice, if you like, for many many reasons. Very few of them that had anything to do with the EU. Mm. Right. So that was the bait. And the switch was, well, we promise you unicorns, we promise you everything, but actually what you're going to get is nothing that anybody actually ever wants. A donkey with a pocket hat on. Exactly. Not the end of the world. So, <laughs> so that's the thing. And I think, I think we need to rethink how we deal with the other side, how we deal with, with Brexit, how we deal with people who still think this is a good idea. And I think the worst thing that you can do is keep saying, you were lied to, you were fooled, uh, you fell mm. for it. You, you know, and what you need to do is approach with sympathy, try to understand. And actually, the best thing you can say is, had I been in your shoes, I would have probably done the same thing. Yeah. So I understand where you're coming from. I think one, of the, one of the more interesting sort of diagnoses of the of, of the Khan was that um, it wasn't that uh, people were stupid or ignorant. No. It was like most people in a mature democracy, they assumed that a politician will tell the truth when they're talking. Yeah. But a politician won't lie to them. They're a public figure. So they looked at two... I think this is somebody explaining Danny Dyer's uh, change of heart on this. They looked at two competing uh, arguments, both put forward by people mm. they thought were telling the truth, and they chose the one that was most congenial to them, which then turned out not to be true, yeah. to their surprise. I think, I think the other bigger problem that you have as well with Brexit is it's not just the case of pulling up a politician and saying, look at Gove, look at Johnson, look at the stuff, the, the lies they told, hence the whole argument crumbled. What Gove very cleverly, and I don't think he, he intended to do it, but his famous bit of who needs experts? You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't need any experts anymore. They, they got the 2008 crash wrong. What... What happened, I think, with that is it gave credence to every single person to be their own expert. Okay, mm. so all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm the expert. I've just read a couple of Twitter feeds, a couple of blogs. I know it. Mm. I don't have to trust the experts. So then now when you come afterwards and you say, you know what? You fell for a, a bait and switch scam. What goes through these people's minds as well, and I hear it on the radios, oh, my God, I've, I've, I've pushed all those lies to my friends, to my family. I... I was the expert. I convinced yeah. other people. So now it becomes also a matter of pride of how do I backtrack? How do I go, okay, I was yeah. wrong. Sorry, yeah. I was wrong. Because it's not just you. It's all the other people around you. Because we know that Trump and Brexit happened with people feeding news to each other. You know, most of the people that I, I, I try and dig down and say, where did you hear that from? Where did you, where did you hear that the EU is undemocratic? Most often than not, it's a video they saw on YouTube or they saw it on Facebook. So how do they go back to that uncle who shared that video and go, you lied to me? It's mm. very, very tricky. Well, to be fair, the uncle didn't lie. As such. Yeah. The uncle passed on in good faith while the uncle exactly. thought was true. I want to just dial back to that thing you mentioned a moment ago, the idea that if you're saying, if you need, because we need to persuade people on the margins, whether yeah. it's to persuade them in the direction of a people's vote or to support the uh, challenge against our, uh, Article 50, which we're going to be talking about in a bit with, uh, with Adam Wagner, um, we need to persuade people on the margins that they need to reverse their position. There are people like Remainer now, who mm. are you know, former Leave voters who, who are publicly recanting and putting their own, and they, they also have the kind of added value of being able to say, look, I was like you, and I yeah. changed my mind, which is a lot got a lot more traction than, you mm. know, the smug Remainers like us saying, well, we were always against it. So how do you go back to people and go beyond saying, I would have done the same if I was in your position? How do you take them beyond that into an active reversal? 
Well, I think I think the approach is really, really important. And I, I, don't, I think most of us are not dealing with the approach uh, appropriately. I think there's, there's a lot of animosity. And I know Twitter is the wrong place to look at all these things because people express themselves in the worst possible way they can on Twitter. But I think being empathetic and starting with, look, I understand why uh, uh, this happened. And I would have done the same if I was in your position. But just like we did in The Real Hustle, showing the mechanics of how the con works, I find, is the best way to educate the people, right? Nice. So showing the mechanics of uh, how a fake advert works and how it's got it's factually completely incorrect, but it's actually really interestingly dressed up in order to mm. appear like real news and mm. how then it spreads. You know, Mike Hine did some fantastic... I think he's been a guest yeah, on the show, hasn't sure, he? Yeah. You know, who started opening people's eyes to the bots, to the astroturfing, to actually look... You know, an MP is going to retweet a fake news article, but because they're actually looking at the number of retweets rather than what the article actually says. Explaining to people the mechanics of the con and how it works is, uh, I think, one of the first steps, but always absolving them of blame and saying, look, anybody would have fallen for it had they been in your shoes. I think that's the number one priority. It's so interesting because there's a, it's almost like, because I mean, that's a that's an argument looking forward rather than judging backwards on what we've seen already. And it's basically about yeah. almost teaching media literacy in a really bleeding edge new way. We've got to give people the tools to educate themselves almost. You know, mm. they've got to pick up and try and understand what, how to separate fake news from false news. And actually, Mike Hines said something that I will always take with me in everything that I do. I remember interviewing him on my radio show and he said... Um, Anytime you read a headline that provokes an emotional response, even if it makes you happy, even if your reaction was, I fucking knew it, I'm <laughs> proved right, stop and think because you're being manipulated. Hmm. Most of my hmm. job, 80% of my job as a, on the radio show is trying to figure out whether shit is actually true. <laughs> you know? At least somebody's doing it. I, I want to take slight umbrage with the initial premise of your hmm. question because... I think that is also a problem that we need to get over, this idea that you need to shift people publicly into a sort of remain position. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, again, is more about feeding our own ego to say, I won that mm. argument. You know, I took a Brexiter and yeah. converted them. You know, and that makes you feel incredibly good. But actually, if you make the argument... Even if you get a defensive reaction, it doesn't mean the person you're arguing with hasn't heard what you said. Mm. And the privacy of a polling booth gives people ample space to change their mind without uh, Making it you know, losing mm. face. Yeah. With, so, um, you know, maybe the idea is that we need to make the argument in a, in a constructive and sympathetic way that, like Alexis says but not expect a sort of public uh, Game of Thrones going exactly naked <laughs> through the streets While we shouting, remain, 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 remain. Because I think that makes the task actually more difficult yes. rather than easier. So maybe rein in the, the ego that demands that I want you to admit that mm. you were wrong and I was right, mm. just make the argument in a clear and concise way, make sure they've heard it, and have faith in the fact that in the privacy of the polling booth, if you've put the right information in place, it will prevail. Alexis, what's the, what's the argument that you find hardest to counter when, when it comes up on the radio show? Oh, uh, to be honest with you, the... the 
the argument that you find God, that's a very good question. The argument that you find hardest to counter is things like um, Project Fear never happened. That's like mm-hmm. one of the common ones, you know, yeah. especially now Mark Carney is in the news again because they're thinking about he's thinking about extending his stay. Mm. Mervyn King mm. has come out uh, saying, you know, peddling his own stuff of, of course, Brexit would have worked had it been done right, essentially to that sort of message. <laughs> but the sort of project fear never materialized. Mm. And that's a difficult one to argue because, of course, project fear was... You know, Brexit hasn't actually happened yet. A lot of people are forgetting the fact that I think Mark Carney, and correct me because you probably know more about this than I do, but Mark Carney did take effective measures immediately after the Brexit mm. vote to prevent the worst of Project Fiat coming true. Mm. But, you know, it's it's very, very difficult. When I think I agree with Alexi here that it's very, very difficult to get that epiphany moment of, oh, my God, you're absolutely right. You said the one yeah. thing that I needed to hear to change my mind. <laughs> it's It's never going to happen. Uh, But I think slowly feeding it the facts in a calm way of saying, look, do you trust someone who six months ago said this and now is saying that? You know, and you can pick up an array of quotes for IDS, David Davis and all that lot, Hmm. which just sound absolutely ludicrous now looking at them in hindsight. This is the easiest deal in the history. We have all the cards, all that kind of stuff. And but what what you find is if you don't approach that conversation with some sort of understanding and empathy what you'll get is they'll retreat into their corner and start punching out with will of the people betrayal of democracy mm-hmm. yeah. all we need to do is get them into that polling station that yes ele- absolutely was just mentioned there. Absolutely. where is it Hurry up, that's what station. we need to do create that space for them that private polling booth space now in special bonus content news we have another guest with us this week Adam Wagner is a human rights barrister at Dowdy Street Chambers and founder of the Rights Info blog. This week he launched a legal challenge to the referendum results on behalf of UK citizens in the EU and therefore the legality of leaving the EU based on incontrovertible evidence that the Leave campaign cheated. The case is crowdfunded, it's raised £57,000 from the 75000 target with three weeks to go and it was launched by Sue Wilson from Remain in Spain who's a friend of the podcast so hello Sue. Hello Adam, welcome to Romaniacs. Good afternoon. Amongst Thanks. friends. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you firstly explain the basis of this legal claim because some people would say this is legal chicanery to try and subvert the will of the people etc etc yeah, I mean, give I, us the basis I, of that absolutely and people will, will always say that especially in such a contentious area but the, the basis of the legal claim really is about fairness um, and democracy so it's about in, in, in pretty much any other vote apart from a non-binding referendum if there is cheating so if, if you're in your local general election results or in a um, local authority election or even a local authority referendum, if there is widespread cheating or even significant cheating that's revealed, then you can challenge the result. So you can go to what's called an election court and there's statutory provision for it and actually goes back hundreds of years in the common law um, for reasons you might expect because there's nothing more fundamental to the rule of law than fairness in elections. Mm. So you can go to an election court and you can get the vote, the result annulled. Um, now, that applies to pretty much every vote you will have ever taken part in, except for this referendum, which happens to be probably the most important vote you have ever taken part in. <laughs> um, which we're, and we're going to court to say, well, something that's, that doesn't sound right. Um, because the Parliament didn't make provision expressly for being able to challenge the result on the basis of cheating. It did make provision for going and 
saying there was cheating, and that's the that's what the electoral electoral commission have now found. So, in um, in the earlier part of this year, in the spring, the electoral commission found in relation to vote leave and leave EU that was really serious cheating. I'm sure you've discussed yeah. it on the podcast before. Um, the, and, the, and the most serious was probably vote leave overspending by about six percent. Now that level, that level of cheating, in in principle, should lead to some kind of outcome apart from an outcome for the individuals. And, and we're saying we're going to the court and saying, well, something there needs to be something said and something done in terms of a, a court order about the referendum result itself. And we're saying that the prime minister has not considered this and done anything about it, and that is also um, unlawful. So that effectively the Prime Minister is acting under flawed advice, really, in a, a referendum whose status as advisory or statutory is still much argued over, yeah. um, that the Prime Minister is taking as a mandate something that is not a mandate. That, that's exactly right. And, and Sorry. I guess my only, so I, it was, I, I read through some of the papers. They were, they were really, really interesting, and it was all very, very put together. What I didn't quite get was it's still ultimately a political decision by her to respond to um, the referendum. So I, I didn't, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't spot the bit where the court would be able to insert itself into that process. And so the decision itself was, was sort of, it, you know, unacceptable on those terms. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the answer to that is that any decision by a public authority, including the prime minister is, is in principle amenable to judicial review. So you can go to a court if, um, your local hospital or your local MP does something which you, which you think is unlawful, mm. then um, for the last few decades, you've been able to go to a court in a judicial review to the administrative court and say that decision is either irrational or it's procedurally unfair or it's more recently a breach of my human rights. And that is what we're saying about the Prime Minister's decision, um, particularly the decision to um, to notify the European Union. And that's the... That's, the decision we're, we're really attacking. What about the objection that that's as may be, but the government just won a general election, kind of won a general election by the skin of its teeth, <laughs> on giving it a mandate to pursue Brexit as it is described? Doesn't that retrospectively validate? I mean, I hate being devil's advocate here because I'd love to magic Brexit out of existence, but isn't the argument that this was the government's mandate and it has assembled an administration based on the last general election result? Yeah, well, I think that's very much a political argument. Um, and, mm. and, and in the court, that wouldn't... I mean, it, it might insert itself somewhere. But, but the really important point that we're making is, did the Prime Minister... We're saying the Prime Minister shouldn't have made the decision in the way that she did because the information that was available or, or well, is ava- particularly is available now um, has undermined the the result of the referendum. And, 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 and effectively what happened is the Prime Minister treated the, the, the result of the referendum as binding. And that, and that yeah. is something which has been said over and over again by the government, that they, mm. that they would treat whatever the result was, they would, they would respect the will of the people. And it was such a close re- result, as, as we know, um, and there is a, now a real question mark over what would have happened had the cheating not occurred. Um, mm. And that's what we're going to try and get the court to examine. If you win your case, it'll be very interesting, not least from how the Brexit press will react to this, because the tale that is told, the story that is created is that there are uh, machinations to frustrate Brexit through procedural matters that have nothing to do with this enshrined will of the people, which was a 
you know, manufactured in 2016 and is apparently the only incarnation of democracy that's truly, uh, that, 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 you know, that's, that has any credibility. Are you prepared as you go through this? Firstly, are you personally prepared for getting the full Gina Miller treatment? You know, appearing on a on a, a well, it won't be the mail anymore, will it? Because Jordi Gregor's gone. Appearing on a on an express front page as enemies of the people. Well, I mean, as as lawyers involved in cases of that are important, we've it's kind of a privilege to be able to be involved in those kind of cases, and we take we take the wheat with the chaff. Yes, um, and ultimately. Um, you know, Sue Wilson is the claimant and she has put her head above the parapet to be the claimant. And, and I really respect that. I think in, in terms of the result, ultimately, all we're really asking is that the court look at the issue from a constitutional legal perspective. You know, what is the what's the legal effect, if there's any legal effect of the finding of the Electoral Commission that there was widespread and significant cheating and that that may well have influenced the result. And that's what we're saying and that's what we want the court to do i don't i think in terms of what would happen afterwards that's really that would again go back into the political realm which is not what we're where we're involved um if the court reached a judgment that the that any particular decision was unlawful or that the referendum itself was um vitiated by fraud which is what vitiated by fraud which is what we're arguing i mean sort of the only practical you know if it if if it were to be struck down in such a manner practical consequences could entail the suspension of article 50 could it go so far as to entail the rerunning of a referendum i can't face that i mean i mean i i, <laughs> I would leave the country i i i don't know is the answer i don't really i, I we're focusing quite narrowly on on the case and it, it, it's but it certainly would involve uh, the end of the current article 50 process wouldn't it by virtue of the argument we don't know what would happen after that, but surely by virtue of your argument, it would because it's about her decision to trigger Article Fifty, isn't it? That's the, that's the key point that it affects. I, I think that's a that's a matter that will have to be dealt with in the court. What what the exact effect would be, mm. and, and I think that, that that will develop as the case goes on. Because there is a possibility the court might say, um, yes, we find that there are serious doubts about the result of the referendum because of all the evidence you've submitted, but because. Parliament voted to give Theresa May authorization to trigger Article 50, that's still a legally valid process. That's one of the possible outcomes, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think there are a number of, of possible outcomes, and this is, as with the Gina Miller case, pretty unusual legal territory. <laughs> so I think I'll say. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> yeah. I think that, that is fair to say. But it's not, you know, the, 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 the courts are used to dealing with matters of high constitutional principle and that's what in part they're there for so it's so far i never i have to confess i'd never thought until you started talking that actually the fact that it was an advisory referendum which you know for a lot of remainers are this huge thing to talk about on twitter all the time yeah. it doesn't really count actually works against us because if it was binding right now there'd be a much firmer legal case i presume in terms of taking it on yeah i mean that the has so for example the the av referendum is is an example of a binding referendum and it was by it was it was known as binding because in if you read the act that led to the av referendum it had a a trigger clause where if the answer was yes we want av we want the alternative vote system there was already an act of parliament built into the act, the referendum act hmm. which would then come into play the moment the result was declared so so that was the kind of that's the the definition of a binding referendum hmm. whereas the the eu referendum just said we're, go- we're going to have a vote and the vote will be declared and and there was no sort of trigger point yeah. after that but but the political 
outcome was was always going to be clear because the political promise made by the government was that we will respect the will of the people, we will do what the the, the people tell us to do. Mm. So or, w- whether it was binding or not is, I mean... No, politically, really obviously, question. it makes no difference. But I mean, just legally, it would be very helpful because you would be able to, instead of, you know, having to make the case that actually it should be, that this would be the effect if it was a local council election or a binding one, you could just say this was illegal and actually that, that what flowed from it, the trigger that flowed from it shouldn't hold. Mm. It, it would be different. You're absolutely right. It would be a different kind of challenge if it was a binding referendum in that, in that sense. But I, I'm not even sure, given that it flowed, that the Article 50 decision was an international legal decision and the referendum was a domestic legal decision. I'm not even sure how it would have been. Oh, binding. interesting. Huh, yeah. huh. We are getting really good at framing referendums in this country. What a pity that we should <laughs> never, ever have one ever again <laughs> under any circumstances whatsoever. Adam, thanks for coming in. You can it's find uh, listeners, you can find the case by searching UK in EU challenge and crowd justice. Crowd justice is one word. It was at £57,000 as we recorded. It may well be at more by now. Who knows? Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. It's a packed show this week, so I'm afraid we don't have any time for but your emails. They'll be back next week. But we do have time, Alexis, for some sort of betting scam you're going to run on us and take our houses off us or something. I love the fact that I said, oh, I might might do a little trick for you guys. And the the reply I got, Andrew, was, I won't have any money on me. (laughs) (laughs) First thing, I won't have any cash on me. Strictly true. So uh, I thought I'd try, because it's very difficult to do stuff on the radio. And also, I'm not going to get a pack of cards out and Mm. and, uh, bore you with card tricks. But I thought, I'm in a room with, you know, Writers, two big writers, and Andrew, you write, you write the scripts, Ian, you write for politics. Okay, you write beautifully, Alex. Uh, and I thought I'll test your vocabulary a little bit. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> who invited this could guy? You, who, could you give me? Could you give me? It's one of the rounds in Greek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Yes. Live on. No, back to Greek. But no, English. So I want, I'm going to ask you, OK, Ian, I'll ask you, could you give me 10 words without the letters A, B or C in them in about 10 seconds? No, no I can't do that. Give, give me one. It, without A, B or C in them? Yeah. Uh, bender. Andrew? A, B or C? Uh, <laughs> bender. It's tricky. It's very tricky. OK, you could uh, have moon, door... Have you got any Denver room? Room, room. yeah. Uh, okay, oh, very, very zoo. Bad Wait, bit. I'm on a roll now. Okay, so it's quite tricky to find words without the letters A, B, or C in them. Yeah. Now, there's a man in the room that we have to acknowledge, Jack, who's sitting there quietly wearing. I can't his believe headphones. you acknowledge Jack. I, I'm this breaking is the fourth the rules. wall. Listen, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I bet you, and Jack, you and I haven't arranged anything, have we? No, I haven't called you. This is the first day we've met. It is. Okay, I, I bet you Jack can name a hundred words without the letters A, B, or C in them in twenty seconds. And what's that? Do, do I have to? Because I, 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 that does seem vanishingly unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you know Jack particularly well <laughs> and his vocabulary. Okay, all right. No, let's see the trick. I'm not going to Jack. Bet money with Jack, you, you can do this, right? Yeah. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jack is looking absolutely petrified right now. He's got a particular colour of pink. Um, so, Jack, 20 seconds, 100 words without the letters A, B or C in them. All right? Right. I'll start you off by just giving you the first couple and you take it from me, OK? Ready? 20 seconds. Here we go. One, 
two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. All 14, 15, the words 16, of numbers 17. between zero to a hundred do not contain the letters A, B, or C in them. That's very, very useful. Good. That is. But I'm still not sure that we would have got through a, a hundred of them in twenty seconds. You could count to a hundred and twenty seconds. That's very nearly twenty seconds. I can. Yeah, you can. Look, try it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, no. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> This um, is for your Brexit friends. You're going to get a beer every time you try it. Yeah, because none of them are listening to the show. <laughs> well, that is quite fantastic. A useful fact there. Now, we do have time before we finish the show for the Brexit time capsule. Oh, Alexis, yes. you're the guest. What's going to go into our Brexit burial chamber? Do you know, I thought long... Because I'm a, a closet fan. Well, not a closet fan. I love this show. Uh, 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 and you've had so many people. I was trying to find something that you don't have, but I came up with possibly two things. Has anyone said roaming charges? Because I will miss those. No, I don't no, think no. they have, actually, and it's a pretty big one. I, yeah. I mean, I hate to sort of not be witty about, oh, well, here's something on yeah. this, but roaming charges, I was, I've been away all the summer and thinking, this is going to be really expensive yeah. next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be really expensive. And the other thing I think we'll miss is someone to blame. Oh, for, we'll have for incompetent government. Don't you worry. Because hey, look, we'll screw the North up by underfunding it. Who's to blame? Oh, the EU. It's some law the EU have put in, which is why your lives are miserable. Nothing to do with us. I, I think you'll find it'll still be the EU. Even, yeah, somehow. Even if and ha- if and when, or you know whether we do or not, it'll still be them. Well, Alexis, thank you very much for your entry to the Brexit time capsule. We're going to finish the show with your traditional clip of a non-English EU language. This is listener Mark Percival speaking Romanian for you. Yes, it's the dawn of the Romaniacs. Eu sunt român și britanic și european. Brexit este o mare prostie și trebuie să l oprim prin votul poporului. That means, bit of Romaniac there for you, that means I'm Romanian, British and European. Brexit, Brexit is extremely stupid and we need to stop it with the people's vote. Right on. Listeners, if you speak a European language, not just English, of course, then send us your farewell clip. Just record something on your phone, email it with a translation to info at romaniacs.com and we'll use the best ones we can. And that is the end of the show. Many thanks to our special guest, Alexis Conrad. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. What are you going to be cooking tonight with your MasterChef hat on? Probably Spagbol. Spagbol. <laughs> Why not? Thanks to Adam Wagner who was in earlier and was excellent. Thanks as ever to Alex Andreu and Ian Dunn. We're going to see you soon. Now, European brothers and sisters pump up the volume for our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop and our thanks to some of our fantastic Patreon backers. Alexis, to Helen Redsdale, Victoria Robinson, Adam Sutcliffe, Neil Twizzle and Mark Rimington. And it's thank you from me to Matthew Farrow, Emma McNabb, Stuart Tootill, Andy Aldridge and Nigel Bell. And finally, the, the traditional shout-out to all Romaniac Massive, including <laughs> XRoger78, even the robots are listening, Graham Slap, Jonathan Lodes Carter... M. Wilson, and this is my favourite one, Q-A-Z-C-D-W-S-X. Yes, even the bots and the algorithms are listening. Many thanks to all of you. We'll see you all next week. Romaniacs was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Alex Andreo and Ian Dunn. Studio production was by me, Jack Claremont. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Can you now just go one, two, three, four, five, six? One, two, three, four, five, six. Come on, Jack, you can do it. You have to give that in.